0: Hello and welcome to The Big Picture in Practice. I'm Syl Flood of Morningstar.
1: And I'm Julie Willoughby.
0: Our topic today is ESG regulation. Joining us are Aaron Shapiro, Head of Retirement and Public Policy at Morningstar, and Brian McGannon, Director of Policy and Programs, US SIF, the Forum for Sustainable Investment. Aaron and Brian, thank you for being here. We're going to jump right into our discussion of this important topic. What's at stake for wealth advisors in all of the regulatory discussions that are happening in Washington right now?
2: It might be good to back up and talk about what we mean by by regulation. So I think probably the most important thing is the proposed rule, and I want to underscore proposed rule uh, that the SEC circulated, promulgated in the summer for which the comment period is closed and they're now absorbing comments. And it would put a framework together on what mutual funds have to disclose, whether they are ESG-oriented, whether they seek to have a particular impact and can measure that impact, or whether they use ESG but are not oriented around only selecting securities that meet some kind of ESG criteria. The comment file, and this is important, the comment file is thick with suggestions, put it that way. What the SEC is trying to do makes a lot of sense in principle, but we expect there to probably be some changes between this proposed rule uh, and the final rule. So just to sort of level set where we're at. So it's a little bit hard to, you know, say this is exactly what advisors can expect because we don't have a final rule and we probably won't have one for some time. But I think assuming that the final rule sticks somewhat closely to the framework that they've envisioned, or at least attempts to impose a framework on disclosure for funds that engage in different kinds of investment activity guided by financial analysis and also uh, ESG information, I think advisors are going to have to make sense of that and explain to what extent a quote-unquote ESG fund can be expected to engage in different activities and see if that aligns with an investor's values or the risks that they're worried about. The framework will
3: create some kind of ability for advisors to look and do a reasonable comparison to kind of apples to apples amongst funds, Uh, you know, it won't be exact, but at least it will give advisors a kind of a roadmap of these types of funds are this style, these types of funds are another style, and that within those then they can open them up and make, you know, their decisions around those. I think there's, a, there's definitely an opportunity to look forward to. I think disclosure is the main characteristic that, that advisors can look towards regulators from. Issuers, we anticipate that they will have to disclose their climate profiles, climate change-related risks. ESG funds will have additional disclosures applied to them as well. So I think those are kind of two of the big pieces that they can look forward to out of the regulatory environment moving forward.
2: One thing I'd, I'd add to that, and I agree with everything Brian just said, and there's a couple of tracks of, of regulation, both on the companies uh, that issue stock and what they'll have to disclose, and then on mutual funds and uh, what they'll have to disclose about their level of involvement in using ESG information in their strategies. But another way to think about this is that the regulation is catching up to a reality. And that reality is that a lot of investors are very interested, ranging from, from institutional investors to just ordinary people, are very interested in using ESG information in their investing process. And that may be to avoid ESG risk. It may be to pursue particular goals. It may be something in between. It may be about being a good steward and thinking about uh, votes on shareholder resolutions. There's a lot of different ways people are thinking about this. But I don't think that the regulation, and I know others disagree, but I don't think the regulation is driving things so much as it is catching up to a reality and trying to ensure that there's some consistency, uh, some comparability, and some comprehensiveness across the disclosures investors are seeing so they can compare different funds to each other or different companies to each other. And I have to believe over time that advisors who aren't fluent in that language will be at a disadvantage compared to advisors who are.
0: So how do you anticipate these regulations impacting the day-to-day activities for an advisor? Like one day the regulations didn't exist and tomorrow they do exist and the advisor walks in the office. What has changed?
2: I, I guess it depends to what extent their clients read their fund disclosures. But there's a real chance, right, that somebody comes in and says, hey, I didn't realize I was invested in a bunch of actively managed mutual funds that are integrating ESG into their process. What does that mean? You know, there's people who are wanting to align their investing with their values. There's people who are cognizant of ESG risks. There are people who are skeptical, right? So it's going to depend on the, on the person. And I think an advisor is going to have to be able to explain with some nuance you know, I wouldn't say on day one, right, It's got to take some time for people to notice the new filings, there will be a lot more information that investors have about their investments. And they're going to want to understand what that means for them. Advisors will definitely have to, if they have customers that are
3: interested in this space, they're going to have to kind of do their homework. Now, there's, there's going to be a lot more information out publicly available. You know, there are going to be funds that are going to reclassify themselves or they may have to rename themselves. There's a separate rule that is also going out about around the names of the funds and how they can use ESG terms in the names of the
2: funds. That's right. Funds are going to try to think about where they fit into this. They may think, well, we're pretty close to being ESG-oriented, assuming the framework stays more or less the same. Like maybe we want to make some changes in our process there or what have you. So that's another thing advisors are going to have to do. It's not as though... Things will be static. It's gonna, it's gonna result in a kind of dynamic environment. The converse might be true too. I mean, there may be funds that decide for strategic reasons that they, you know, they don't wanna talk about ESG. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens with that.
1: How is this regulatory landscape and the unfolding of regulation around sustainable investing in ESG funds and securities? been different from other regulations and financial services that you've seen?
3: On one level, you know, and this is something that, that US SIF has been an advocate for, is that we don't want sustainable investing, ESG investing, to be treated differently. It is a strategy. It is data. It's in all of our literature. It's all of our communications. We always are saying this is not something other. I've been at US for five and a half years in in that time, you know, it was going up to the talk to folks at the SEC. We were explaining what sustainable investing was. We were explaining what ESG information was. We were we've been advocating for comprehensive ESG disclosure by issuers since 2009, our first letter. And it was it's, it was a very educational process. In the last two, two and a half years, it is now, you know, there's been a pendulum swing. We We still think that they Need a, you know, continuous education, but there's a much bigger focus and much more attention being spent on sustainable investing at the regulatory level, at the staff level, than
2: just five years ago. Every issue set is, is different in its own way. But I mean, this is this sort of following similar procedures. It's certainly not the first time that we've seen a highly controversial regulations moving forward where you've got members of, of Congress who aren't necessarily happy with it that's the that's the role of Congress right one of Congress's important functions is is being a watchdog and, and asking regulators tough questions so I don't think that's unique I mean the, the other thing that strikes me as unusual is how much technical information the agencies have had to acquire in that sense for me trying to coordinate and just understand what they're proposing understand, Uh, how it would affect the ESG ecosystem. All public policy work is cross-disciplinary or interdisciplinary. To some extent, I'm always talking to experts across Morningstar as I try to figure out what's going on, leveraging their information. So that's not unusual, but it's an extreme case. And we've written some of the longest comment letters that we've written on these topics because there really is so much technical information to get through when you start talking about Uh, say, Scope 3 emissions or something like that. In that sense, it's different from other things that I've worked on. So once
0: this regulation, I know it's not just one thing, comes into force, do you think the kind of wind at the back of the ESG industry, if you will, is going to turn into a headwind? Or will this ultimately, in the long run, help you know, ESG fund managers and advisors that focus on ESG clientele?
2: Well, that devils in the details of the final rule. But, you know, like I said, I th- I think this is mostly reflects the regulators catching up to where the market demand is and what's happening with different strategies. I don't see headwind from the mutual fund disclosure rule. I, I, I don't think that that's likely. You know, one thing we haven't talked about that is creating a substantial headwind right now and will probably be changed in the near future is we still have a rule from the previous administration on the books, the Employee Benefit Security Administration, governing retirement plans. And that rule, although there's currently a non-enforcement policy, certainly makes it very challenging to offer ESG-oriented funds in ERISA-covered retirement plans like your 401k and other plans that are covered as well. And uh, they proposed a rule that would have basically gone in the exact opposite direction. The new administration did. It hasn't been finalized yet. You know, I think the non-enforcement policy is important, but that's not sustainable forever, so to speak. And you know, that that's probably the most important thing that can happen from a regulatory perspective in terms of being necessary for funds. So, you know, I, I didn't want to just just mention that, but a disclosure-based framework that aims to enhance comparability, allow investors to assess different strategies against each other on some common dimensions, that's helpful. You know, when when we looked, we found 17% of actively managed funds that we do not, Morningstar does not consider ESG-oriented, mention ESG somewhere in their prospectus, usually to say something like, we also factor this in into our discounted cash flows. And so it's, it's important that regulations and disclosures catch up to this widespread, you know, mainstreaming of of ESG analysis. I think it'll also
3: have an effect of deepening the sustainability impact of investments in funds. So I think that, you know, funds will be forced to disclose if they are just kind of mitigating risk in their fund and then how deep they are doing on impact, right? And I think right now it's a murky area. And I think when you have these disclosures, you will get closer to better disclosures about what the kind of intentionality of the fund is, not to say that one's better than the other, but it'll define the spectrum a little better. So advisors and, and clients can make choices that are suitable for them. If I'm a fund executive, I might be thinking,
0: oh boy, more cost. Do we have any idea of how costly it'll be for fund companies to implement these regulations?
3: when they draft regulations they have to do an economic analysis as part of this and i don't think that they anticipated that this these will be massively impactful i mean i think that you know funds will have to go back to you know work with their lawyers to make sure that they're in compliance costs may be incurred if they decide that they want to redesign their fund or kind of reposition themselves to be a different style of fund under the new regulation. But I don't think that the regulation itself will force a significant expense onto asset managers.
1: And to a certain extent, couldn't regulation actually provide an opportunity for companies who have actually built up a significant amount of expertise, sound methodologies and, and processes around this to actually disclose that in a way that is, on an even playing field with others who may be talking about doing it, but not actually be able to provide evidence and disclosure of doing it. I could see that there could be an opportunity and a challenge there.
3: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think the firms that are doing this well already have a head start. In many cases, many of the USF members are already doing robust disclosures in their prospectus. Will they have to conform to whatever in the prospectus, you know, format that how they will use, but they're already disclosing many of these attributes. And so I think that that clearly will give them an advantage. And, you know, I think that that is clearly, you know, the, the space that they are holding now and will continue to hold the lead in that area.
1: That's yeah, a differentiator for sure.
0: <laughs> Amongst the U.S. SIF membership, Brian, mm-hmm. is there any consensus about what they want to see are regulations? Are they, is there any consensus that they really wish there weren't any regulations? What, what do
3: you hear from them? You know, I think and we expressed this in our our comment letter that I think generally, generally speaking that, you know, our members want to simplify the proposal. The proposal kind of arbitrarily forces funds into three buckets that don't kind of map well with the way the marketplace operates. You know, it was our recommendation to the SEC to simplify it and force all funds that propose to be sustainable or ESG funds to disclose a certain amount of key pieces of information. So you have a consistent set of data points across all funds, and then you can make those distinctions of funds that are doing deeper sustainability uh, analysis versus those who are doing a more of a light touch. And, you know, there's an appropriate role for all of those.
1: Within Morningstar and and in the broader community, what are some of the things that come to mind when you think about the resistance to, or the objections to the regulation?
2: As with Brian's organization, when we looked at the buckets the SEC was proposing and we looked at how we think of the spectrum of activities happening in funds that are using ESG, kind of going from exclusions to you know, managing ESG risks, seeking ESG opportunities out towards impact or shareholder engagement. We found that some of those activities, particularly ESG uh, risk avoidance, were not being particularly well captured by the buckets the commission was suggesting. And we also thought the integration category they proposed was too broad and also misnamed. We searched uh, all the summary prospectuses for mentions of ESG, right? And as I said, we found 17% of actively managed funds that we don't think of as being, you know, ESG-oriented, that our analysts don't, were mentioning using ESG, which is fine. That reflects the mainstreamification of ESG. We pulled out the language from the prospectuses, and we really had to wonder, would these funds end up qualifying as integration funds, and would that be misleading to investors, and that was something that we we dove in on as well. We're not really sure that category is necessary because it's so mainstream. It probably doesn't require a bunch of additional uh, disclosures, but we, we recommended several alternatives. We didn't say, you know, just get rid of this entirely. We said you could get rid of this entirely or you could change the name, be more clear about what's being disclosed and make sure there's some way to capture funds that are principally focused on managing ESG risk, as opposed to seeking ESG opportunities or trying to have an an impact. And now when I look through the comment file, and I found a lot of other commenters had similar kinds of concerns, I I think objection may be too strong, because I think that for the most part, there is a shared agreement on the objectives of the commission, and, and this stuff is hard. And there are real people trying to struggle with these with these issues. So, I mean, we, we try to be constructive. I know a lot of other people, you know, who, who care about this have, have tried to be constructive in, in their commentary. You know, ultimately, I can really only speak for us and, and what we put together. But, you know, it is comforting when you see a lot of other letters raising similar points because, you know, often those drafting the rules will, will take that into consideration. They, they do ultimately have the same goal, which is to reduce investor confusion.
0: So is it fair to summarize Morningstar's position as recommending four buckets instead of three?
2: We didn't recommend four buckets. We we really want to get down to a more granular spectrum of possible uh, ESG strategies. And one thing we really emphasized is we think that funds can fit into multiple kinds of Buckets, right so it's entirely possible that i'm managing an ESG fund that seeks to limit ESG risk but is also pursuing ESG opportunities and may also view shareholder engagement as really important or i could have a fund that is climate aware but doesn't do a lot with shareholder engagement so it's it's really more of a spectrum of activities that would be sort of our ideal something that matches the sustainable uh, investing framework that we've put together for our own analyses.
1: Aaron and Brian you've both been involved in and advocates for what I would consider to be sensible regulation in this area, what other stakeholders are involved in influencing regulators and how is that playing out right now as we move toward more decisions around regulation?
3: There's certainly other trade associations. It's a cottage industry in Washington, D.C. To, to every, you know, every interest is special as we like to say. (laughs) And so there are a number of active associations representing issuers, others representing kind of mutual fund industry, uh, you name it. There's USF essentially represents the sustainable investing field in the US. There are policy advocates, uh, NGOs, non-governmental nonprofit organizations that are advocates for certain issues, whether it's climate, policy or human capital and social issue policy. So there's a broad range of folks that have been active, you know, involved in these regulatory process that have filed comment letters. So it is a broad range of participants. And there's now political actors who are getting into the the, the swing of things. It's not just kind of the substance and policy wonks like aaron and me it's you know now kind of members of congress who have a political bent think tanks that are you know have a political alignment who are weighing in on these things
2: one observation and i want to break out the fund disclosure rule from the issuer rule here i think you're going to see congress particularly in the next session uh, engage in its, you know, constitutional role of providing oversight and asking questions. And there are certainly people who are, you know, more skeptical and people who are less. And this is this is not a uncontroversial issue, nor is it one that isn't fairly heavily polarized. But at the end of the day, the real decision maker here is the chair of the SEC and the two other appointees who are Democrats, because they have the three votes they need to promulgate this regulation. And it's going to be, particularly the issuer climate and carbon risk disclosure rule, it's going to be mediated ultimately in the courts uh, rather than in as part of the political process. Now, there are a lot of stakeholders who are sharing their views, and I think there is some value in making a compelling case for why suggestions that you're making could improve the outcomes that the commission is seeking. But, you know, in the end, this is not a process that requires consensus the way it might if we had legislation with a serious chance of passing, which we, which we don't. I think that's important for people to remember. And this is almost certainly going to be a three to two vote to promulgate the final regulation. And particularly for the issuer one, it would not surprise me uh, if there was litigation afterwards.
1: The political noise that's just how I think of it. The political noise around the regulation and around, around sustainable investing altogether can create a lot of distraction from what investors and advisors are trying to do, which is place assets in investments according to investor preferences. So what do you think the effect of this is on, on investors ultimately?
2: The thing that I worry about is kind of elite level polarization on this issue and having ESG, which, like I said, this is mainstream for a lot of professional investors, uh, particularly managing ESG risk. But if it becomes a caricature or becomes a shorthand for things that you don't like or heavily politicized, you know, do I think that can trickle downstream Yeah. I mean, I think there are people on on sort of both sides who are trying to make this an issue that is higher salience, you know, for voters. And that is potentially a a challenge. You know, on on the other hand, it signifies it's an important enough issue that it's worth people, you know, elected officials spending time on. But but yeah, I mean I I I certainly worry about that a little bit. ESG is one of these things where the the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know and how much more I, I need to keep. Learning and uh, it's just not some simple, easy to box set of ideas that you can just superficially dismiss or, or even superficially embrace. This is complicated stuff, and so that, that's something I worry about a little bit. But I think the SEC will end up in a pretty good place with the final rules. I mean, I, I'm 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 very optimistic about that, and I think they will help ordinary people understand what they can expect from their fund, which is which is the goal.
3: Julie, I think you're right about calling it noise. It's hard to predict the future. It's reasonable, as Aaron suggested, that next year there will be a lot of oversight and a lot more noise, kind of challenging the SEC and these rules from uh, at least the House of Representatives. But, you know, one of the kind of my measurements is that I read a, a ton of these political newsletters every morning around either finance or climate or, you know, variety of issues and asset managers are buying ad space in these things and they're still promoting their sustainable products. They're leaning in. They're not kind of going, oh gosh, we might get our toes stepped on by this political noise. To me, that's encouraging. You know, as we stated at the beginning of the podcast, regulations are catching up to the marketplace and the marketplace understands that ESG g information is valuable to consider, the kind of the long-term well-being of these investments, and I, I just don't think you put the toothpaste back in the tube. Those pieces of information will remain important, and in many cases material to these investments. And one last thing, I always have to say this, is that these attacks on ESG, it's broader. They're going after companies, and they're they're going after the CSR, corporate citizenship, things that some political actors don't want to hear, Companies talking about. But companies are being responsive to their employees. They're being responsive to their communities by considering a variety of these issues that they're lumping in as ESG. There's a a bit of a social kind of war or an attack to kind of undermine policies writ large. And it's not just in the investment space. Aaron, when these matters
0: are contested in the courts, who do you anticipate the plaintiffs will be?
2: You know, it depends on the final regulation and who's going to be able to demonstrate standing. There were uh, lots of trade associations and companies that really don't want to disclose this stuff. They don't want to disclose their scope one and two emissions. They don't want to maybe have to disclose their scope three emissions. So I'm sure somebody will figure out how to demonstrate standing. Uh, I couldn't speculate. Well, I, I could, but the chances of being wrong are very high. So, But I, I think litigation is very likely.
3: Yep. My sense is that it will be a trade association and not an individual company that will raise this as just kind of a practical matter for the company's reputation that they don't want to be the the face of this but they will go in with their trade association to to lead the charge so we talking about the ICI then
2: uh no no No. I could speak for them but I think we're talking about trade associations representing industries that would have new disclosures they don't currently have got it got it it, but leave it at that okay
1: Well, Brian, Aaron, thank you for being here with us today. There's certainly a lot of complexity and a lot of voices and sometimes noise. And thanks for breaking it down to things that investors and advisors need to think about and for sharing your perspectives. Thanks for having us.
2: Thanks for having me. Thank you. I want to speak for Brian. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you again for joining us. If you enjoyed this conversation, we ask one and only one thing of you. Please think of someone who might enjoy this and recommend they give it a listen. We'll see you next time.